let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay you tribute. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their Jews, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Unchanging Word is in Romans chapter 13, verses 5 through 7 in this lesson, and we will look at God's purpose for government, for those who are part of the higher authority. And it is important to remember how Jesus reacted and what he said while on trial and being questioned by a governing authority of his day in Jerusalem, Pontius Pilate. It's recorded in John chapter 19, verses 9 through 11, that Pontius Pilate entered into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you not speak to me? Do you not know I have power to release you and I have power to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no power against me at all, except it were given you from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto you as the greater sin. Well, Jesus took no revenge and let God, the highest authority, be the final judge. Well, turn with us in your Bible to Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 19. Here's our teacher, Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Good day, friends. We again come to you. And we're dealing with some very, very important and interesting material here in the book of Romans chapter 13. We have been dealing in chapter 10 with our relationship to God and our relationship to each other as Christians. And now we've been dealing with our relationship to civil authorities in the first seven verses of chapter 13. And we pointed out that when Paul wrote this passage, he was under Nero. And you know, Nero was a very vile, corrupt, murderous monster. And yet he declares to us, 
that authority is of God. Again, may I remind you that authority was received from God to rule, not necessarily the method of rule. Too often we try to judge the method of rule with the authority of rule. That authority is from God. We find that in the book of Genesis chapter 9, and it goes right on down through your Bible. God expects men uh, to, be, to be ruled, and government is for the common good, as we have in verses 3 and 4. The rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power or for the authority? Do that which is good, and thou shalt receive praise of the same. For he, the ruler, is the minister of God to thee for good. But if you do that which is evil, then be afraid. For the ruler beareth not the sword in vain. He is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And this is what we were discussing in our last word concerning this matter of government. And again, may I say that when criminals are freed, this is a manifestation of rebellion against government. And government is ordained of God. And I want to repeat some other things that I said. For example, here's a terrible thing today to my mind, that we have public sympathy for criminals. In fact, we have more sympathy for the criminal waiting judgment or his sentence than we have for the ones who have been killed or have been abused by the criminal. And we've even gone so far now that men say, well, this man is to be excused because he's got a disease. So sin is no longer sin. Corruption is no longer corruption. Murder is no longer murder. Stealing is no longer stealing. It's just a disease, my friend. It's S-I-N. And God has authorized governments for the keeping down of evildoers. And when you and I sympathize with those who are guilty of these various crimes, we're rebelling against God. I want to tell you, uh, this is a sad picture today when sin is no longer sin. And if the adversary of your soul and my soul, Satan, the devil, if he can get us to the place where we can minimize sin, when you minimize sin, my friend, you minimize the work of Christ at the cross. When I say that sin is just a disease, and hence they've got to be uh, treated as disease, it's no longer sin. It's no longer lawlessness. It's just a disease. I tell you, I've come to a place where nothing short of the wrath of God is going to fall upon our generation. I again say that sin is sin. And anything that's opposed or against the righteous character of God is sin and will come under the judgment of God. You know, there's a verse I've been giving to you folks through these months in the book of Romans, and I can't help but bring it back today in this very same connection. For 1,900 years and more, we've had the grace of God. We had God manifesting his mercy and love and his grace toward men. He still loves sinners. He hates the sin, but he still loves men and women. But when they persistently, persistently refuse his mercy 
and refuse his grace. There's nothing left but judgment. How in the world will people ever learn righteousness? So Isaiah 26 declares, When thy judgments are in the earth, then the inhabitants thereof learn righteousness. It just seems they will not learn righteousness through the goodness of God. And you remember Romans chapter 2 says, Don't you know that the very goodness of God should lead thee to repentance? But if I spurn the goodness of God, then I must face the justice of God. And God is just. God is righteous. Everything he does is right. Even when he pours his wrath upon men and his judgment upon men, it's because he's righteous. Now, to keep the world from living a life of continual lawlessness and moral corruption and rebellion and lawlessness, he has ordained governments to keep down sin, to keep down corruption, to keep down evildoers. And when you and I sympathize with criminals, we're manifesting opposition to the very character and the very justice of God. Now in verse 5, we ought to obey the government for something else, for conscience' sake. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Or oh, that might change the, the wording. You must needs be subject to the government not only because of what it can do to you when you break laws, but also for your conscience' sake. You ought to be subject to constituted authority. Whatever the law says, there's no question as to our duty. But you're going to ask me a question. I know you're going to ask me that question. Well, what about my conscience? What if the government demands something that is contrary to my conscience? Well, may I say this? Governments are for the earth, for the keeping down of evildoers. Remember this. This is the basic thing. But the government is not in the realm of the spiritual. For example, you take the book of Daniel. Here were some of the princes of Israel, and they were given place in the government of Babylon. They were under Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel and Azariah and Mishael and so on. They were the four of these princes especially. And you remember the, the time that they were under authority. But the time came when God became the issue. And when, that, when Nebuchadnezzar built his great image, he passed an edict. He made a law. But at a certain time, with the blowing of the trumpets and the clanging of the cymbals, every knee must bow and worship his image which he had made. Now it's not a question of government, but a question of relationship to the living God. What happened? Well, these three young men, Azariah, Meshiel, and uh, the other one, I forget his name. I know what you're going to say. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, that's the pagan names. Let's not use their pagan names. Azariah, Meshiel, and uh, whatever the other one's name is. They, they refused to bow the knee. You see, it was a question now of conscience before God. The issue now is not government. 
the issue is God. And they refused to bow the knee to the law that the king had made. That's a different proposition. So here, for example, if I am told no longer to preach the gospel of Christ, I am no longer told to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to stand for the word of God. If I do so, it'll be jail. And I guess to jail I'll go. It's a question now, not of government, but a question of relationship. And if it's contrary to my conscience before God, if the issue is concerning my relationship to God, there's no question where I must stand. That's for God, whatever the cost may be to me. But nevertheless, I want to get to your heart as a Christian. I'm under the government. And as long as the government does not interfere with me walking before God in the obedience to his word, I'm to obey the government because it's ordained of God. I may not agree with some of the methods of government. But as I say again, I'm not dealing with that. I'm dealing with the authority that governments have, which is from God. And because it's from God, I am to be in subjection to my government. Now, in verses uh, 6 to 7, he gives us something else. For this cause, pay your tribute, pay your taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their Jews, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. In other words, pay your taxes. But I don't like my tax bill. Oh, brother, neither do I. Neither do I. When I get my taxes, I, I wonder my, when they're going to stop going up but I pay my taxes. I don't rebel against it. I'd like to pay less, but I pay my taxes. I'm a Christian. I'm subject to the authority that is over me. So I pay my taxes. I pay my taxes for conscience sake. I pay my taxes to support the government. Now, they're ministers of God to keep down evildoers, and they must be supported. And we have a responsibility here as Christians. You remember in Matthew chapter 17, let me read you this little passage. You remember in, in, in chapter 17 of Matthew, starting in at verse 24, I read Jesus and his disciples came down to Capernaum. And they that received the tribute money, that those who were collecting taxes, they came to Peter and said, doesn't your master pay taxes? Doesn't he pay the tribute? And he said, yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus stopped Peter and said, What do you think, Peter? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? And Peter said, of strangers. Jesus said to them, then are the children free. I remember that Rome taxed all these countries that they had made subject to them. In fact, they paid more taxes, I would take it, that the Jews in Israel paid more taxes than the Romans did in Rome. So he said, of whom then do they receive taxes from strangers? Uh, what about the children? Then the children are free. Now, verse 27, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, the tax gatherer, you go to the sea and, and throw in a hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. 
And when you've opened his mouth, you shall find a piece of money. You take it, and you pay the taxes for me and for you. Now the Lord Jesus, the creator of all things, the Lord from heaven, he didn't dodge his taxes. Remember that. And he said, lest we offend them, Jesus recognized the Romans in their place of authority. Now you'll notice that the Jews, they squirmed a great deal because of the way Rome treated them. That's true. But nevertheless, the Son of God, the creator of all things, said to Peter, you go and catch a fish and in his mouth you'll find some money and you pay the taxes for me and you pay your taxes too from that same money. Why? Lest we should offend them, lest we should cause any trouble. So you have in these first seven verses the relationship between the believer and his government. And again, I want to emphasize this. Governments are ordained of God. Their authority is from God. We are to give honor to them as being the servants of God for the keeping down of evildoers, keeping down corruption and crime. We are to pay our taxes. We are to recognize that their authority is from God. And I again repeat it, not necessarily their method of operation. And when it comes to a question, if the time ever came here in America where we have to choose between God and our relationship to him and our relationship to our government, if the issue comes up, as it was in Paul's day, it's either Christ or Caesar. You remember that? It was either Christ or Caesar. In fact, most of our Christian martyrs, all they had to do was to take a pinch of salt out of a little bowl and drop it in front of the bust of Caesar. They would have been sent free. The issue then was Jesus or Caesar. It wasn't an issue of law or of government, but between Caesar and Jesus. And when they chose Jesus, then they were thrown to the lions. When the issue comes in America for us Christians between the government and the Lord Jesus Christ, if that ever becomes an issue, there's only one issue we can take, only one thing we can do, one decision to be made, and that's for the Savior, whatever it costs, whether it means a firing line or jail or whatever it is, that's neither here nor there. When the, when the chips are down, as Christians, we must stand by the Savior. I hope I've made myself clear on this point in the first seven verses of chapter 13. Now, let me, let me go back and repeat one or two things so you can pick up the connection. You get the broad scope of this. I want to get this clear in your mind. In the first 11 chapters of Romans, I'm going back now to refresh your memory. In the first 11 chapters of Romans, we have objective truth where we are seeing what God has done for us. Chapter 1, right on through chapter 8, where God takes us who are given over to sin, given over to uncleanness, given over to vile affections, given over to reprobate mind. Now we're in Christ, righteous, forgiven, redeemed, justified, having life, and fitted for eternal glory. No one can charge us with anything. God has done the whole business. 
we just received the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. That in chapter 9, 10, and 11, God was righteous in his dealings with Israel. He chose them to a place of privilege. He pushed them to one side and picked up individuals, Jews or Gentiles. In chapter 10, a personal salvation, a salvation for anyone who would take it, whether Jew or Gentile. Chapter 11, he comes back and he's going to restore Israel in righteousness. When he cleanses out, the purges out of them her rebels, and then when we, he's going to fulfill his promises, the very unfaithfulness of the nation through the centuries is not going to affect the, the purpose of God for the nation in the future. Now, when you come to chapter 12 through 16, what we do for God, our responsibility, first of all, our responsibility to God in chapter 12, the first two verses, we ought to dedicate our lives to the Lord. And then our relationship to the church, the body of Christ, the gift that God has given, and how we should live in our respect to each other, with respect to the world, with respect to our enemies, and so on. And the last three verses of the chapter, chapter 12, are my relationship to enemies, how I should deal with my enemies. Now in chapter 13, which we're just finishing, in the first seven verses, there is given to us what my responsibility is before governments. How shall I act? And for conscience sake, because their authority is from God, I'm to be subject to the powers that be, I'm to pay my taxes, I'm to live as one who's indeed a child of God in the world and recognize that the authority is from God. Now, starting at verse 8 and reading through to the end of chapter 13, we have our relationship to society. And this being so, we'd like to stop right here and ask you to read those verses our relationship to society. And this is a tremendous relationship. And we do these things not because uh, we want to be saved. We do not do these things in order to be saved. We do these things because we are saved, because we are the children of God with a responsibility in the earth to bring glory and praise and honor to our Savior. Now you read the passage through and may the Lord bless you today for his precious name's sake. Time after time I went searching for peace in some I was trying to blame all my ills on this world I was in. Surface relationships used me till I was done in. And all the while someone was Was there? 
Now that I've found the answer, my life is just starting to rhyme. Sharing each new day with him is a cup of fresh life. Oh, what I missed, he's been waiting. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.